Well, it's Heritage Day today. Isn't that a wonderful day? And it's so beautiful. Come, let's just appreciate people around us that have dressed so beautifully and uh, so just wonderfully. Um, as I just saw people coming in, it's so beautiful. Thank you for just celebrating and heritage. This is my heritage, lacquer. One of my American friends call us the land of lacquer. So uh, it's lacquer to be together today, is it not? So today being Heritage Day, a day where we celebrate and remember and honor and express value for each of us, our journeys and that as which is where we come from, our heritage. I want to ask you this question. Is it appropriate for us as Christians to actually celebrate our heritage? Is it actually something that, that it's right and biblical for us? And if so, how do we do that? And what, what value do we attach to our, where we come from? We each have a story. We each have a heritage. Now, I'm, I'm trying to just show some of what I value. And even if the Springboks lost yesterday, I'm a Springbok supporter. And, and you'll see Dana sitting up there. He, he, he put on an Ireland shirt this morning, not thinking what he was doing. So when I saw him coming in, he's American, but he's, you know, so he's completely innocent. Don't take it out upon him, but you know. We, we, we stay Springbok supporters, amen? We're still gonna win the World Cup. Okay, you're not so sure. Yes, come on. <laughs> and uh, I actually bought this shirt last week and because it has its Springbok feel to it, it has Mr. Mandela's face on this. It has the South African flag, Springbok, and then it even has the African continent on the background. And it all, you know, with the, the lacquer hat, I'm trying to just, you know, it's so wonderful. To have a story and have a place to come from. Now I'm going to take off my hat. I'm old school. I can't think of preaching with a, with a hat on. But we, we have a story. But how, what do we do with that in terms of when we get saved? Now we're Christians. Does that mean we disregard or discard our heritage, our, where we come from? Or how do we approach that? And I think you know already just from the songs that were sung this morning that we believe that there's biblical value to our heritage. And I want to take you to a scripture that perhaps helps us to understand something of the value of our human experience and story. And that's from Revelation 7, verse 9 to 10. And Rook already referenced that scripture this morning also. In Revelation 7, we have this event where John is having a, a, a vision and he is seeing what heaven looks like. He's actually having an opportunity to be a, an eyewitness account of a heavenly worship experience. And as he's seeing this scene that unfolds before him of a heavenly worship scene, he describes for us as this witness of this event, he describes what he sees. And this is part of what he sees. He says, after this I looked and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now whenever you come to a portion of scripture, it's so good to ask questions of that scripture, to to, and Luke said it this morning, to try and imagine what, what is going on here so that we can dig into the texture and the, the feel of the scripture a little bit. So John is describing for us and he's saying this. He says, I, I saw before the throne people from every tri nation, tribe, people, and language. Now, 
I would like us to stop there for a moment and say, how did he know that they were people from every tribe, nation, and language? How did he know? What tipped him off? What did he observe that, that made him notice that this wasn't just one homogenous group of people, but that these people were diverse and made up from different backgrounds? What did he see? Now, the one thing we know he didn't recognize different nations by is by what they wore. Because the scripture here says they were all wearing white robes. So it wasn't their dress that gave it away that they were people from different origins. So what was it? It may not have even been language because it says in verse 10, and they cried out in a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. So I don't know if they were saying the same sentence in different languages, but it, it feels like it was likely that they were declaring this, who God is, in a way that perhaps didn't have different languages. It may have, I don't know. And therefore, I want to say we must be careful with scriptures like this that we don't take it too far. We don't know what different tribes and languages and people look like in heaven. We, we're not told how he distinguished between them. But we know there are people of different origins praising and worshiping God. Perhaps it was that by their features he could recognize. Now, I don't know. The scripture doesn't say that. But we know that there were these people that John could see nations coming together to worship the Lord. So we know that these people were in a position where they were saying the most important thing, the highest thing, the, the greatest value is God. And they were bringing their heritage to God and saying, I'm worshiping you. Perhaps they were worshiping from their heritage and they were worshiping with their heritage, but he was not confused as to what was the most important thing. God was the most important one. They were worshiping him. Now, you know, I sort of just get inquisitive, and I wonder if he was seeing, because remember, he's having a vision of heaven. Was he seeing people groups that were only existing at, as he knew them, or was he seeing people groups that didn't quite know who they were? Perhaps he was some, seeing some odd characters in heaven with bright tongues going click, 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 standing there worshiping the Lord with bright tongues. And he's like, I don't know who these people are. Only later will he discover that those were some South Africans that were, you know, that exist, or, you know. I don't know, but we know that in a heavenly worship scenes, people could still be recognized as being from different cultures and groupings and peoples and worshiping God together. Now, Jesus, when he taught us to pray, he said this, when you pray, one of the lines he encouraged us to pray is, pray, let your kingdom come on, on earth as it is in heaven. So our job as Christians is to reproduce that which we see taking place in heaven on earth. And so today I want to look at what does worship in heaven look like and how do we reproduce that on earth? We will not do it perfectly, but surely our worship on earth should orientate us towards what worship in eternity will be like. And how do we worship? So that right now our worship begins to more and more feel and, and have the texture of heaven's worship. And so I'm going to make a couple of points with you quickly 
about what I think Scripture tells us about heaven's worship. And the first thing that the Scripture tells us about heaven's worship is worship will be about Him. Even from this verse, we see these people standing with their different backgrounds, but all standing before God in, and saying the focus is on God. They're worshiping Him. Now, this, this is not a really deep statement that should rock anybody's boat. Worship should be about Him. I think we know that, even here. Worship is about God. It's not about us. But I do want to reflect a little bit on how while we're on earth, we sometimes tend to still make worship a little bit about us. I think there's a human element to it. I think there's an earthly element to it. I think it's sort of, it will happen while we're on earth. But I think we must recognize that heaven's worship will be completely about God and not as much about us as we experience it even right now. What do I mean we make it about us? Let me, let me tell you some phrases or questions or comments that are often made around worship. We, we'll say something, for instance, or we'll ask somebody a question. Where do you worship? That's a great question. In other words, where do you go to church? Where do you, you know, fellowship? That's a wonderful question. But can you see already even in that question, where do you worship? We, we, be, we begin to make worship about us, about my experience. Or we'll say, did you attend worship service today? Did you go to worship service? Did you go to worship online or did you go to worship on site, in person? Again, we have this tendency to orientate worship with us in the picture, with our being. Somebody may say something like this, I skipped worship and just came for the sermon. Now, I know nobody here does that. <laughs> nobody online scrolls through the music ministry part and then just like starts. I know nobody here does that. But it, why do people do that? Why do we do that? Because it's orientated around my experience, my need. Now, I'm not coming down on anybody. I'm not trying to say that's bad or wrong necessarily. The point I'm trying to make is we have a tendency on earth to really make worship include us and our perspective and our experience and our proximity. We would say things like, I prefer contemporary worship or I prefer contemplative worship or I prefer loud worship or I prefer quiet worship or I prefer you know, some lamentation in my worship or I prefer declaration in my worship, which is all great and fine. But can you see again, we, we sort of go to Worship that is a little bit about us. Or we'll say things like, I don't like how they worship or how they do worship. I don't like that worship leader, I prefer that worship leader. I don't like that song, I like that kind of song more. I don't like that sound, I want, I'd like that sound. I can really worship God when that worship leader leads and when we sing that kind of music. That's human, I... I understand it. But I think if we contrast that with heaven, heaven will be very different. Where worship in heaven will truly be about God. And perhaps our preferences and our desires don't even really come into it all that much. Remember the word worship means, comes from the old English word worship, to declare his worth. 
And I, so I think that the reality on earth is God's worship and our experience sort of, you know, become very conflated with one another. Where perhaps in heaven, God's worship will be so elevated that this becomes a little bit less important if it doesn't disappear at all. So can we copy that on earth? If we say, as in heaven, let it be on earth. Can we begin to say, Lord, help us to worship you where you really are the center of it, where it really is about you. As Psalm 22, the 22nd Psalm in verse 27 and 28 says, all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. You see, because in our heritage, inherently, comes preferences. Because of our backgrounds, there come certain things that we just like and prefer. And that's fine. But it can also become our limitation. Where I need to worship God in a certain way. I need to have Jesus and experience him within certain boundaries and within certain boxes. And if we're not careful, those become things that are, we, we can be critical about. And, and a little bit of self-serving begins to creep in. Because worship is so important to us as Christians. But it often becomes a thing that we, we make it too much about our preferences. And then we become critical. And we actually become quite nasty with each other. I mean, I've, I've seen Christians behave in the most... <laughs> ungodly ways around worship because it all becomes now I'm not saying you shouldn't have a taste you shouldn't have a preference I'm just saying perhaps we should grow towards a space where those things get more absorbed into Lord this is about you I, I go to many churches you know conferences leadership meetings whatever and whenever there's a worship time and I'm now sitting in worship that's led by another church's music team one thing I never do is allow myself to form an opinion about their worship unless I'm asked to by them. Like, please give us some feedback. Because it's got nothing to do with me. I may come from a tradition that worships in a certain way and now I'm in a church and they do it quite different than what I like or feel, you know, want to. But my opinion has no place there. As long as their worship is an authentic expression of their desire and love for God as it is best represented at that time in their journey, what right do I have to even have an opinion? Amen? Because who am I to judge? So nothing to do with me. Because worship belongs to the Lord. It's His. And it, it's wholly His. And I think that's one of the things in heaven that we will experience quite differently. But perhaps on earth we can already begin to mirror that. The second point I want to make is worship will be wholehearted. Worship will be wholehearted. But let's be honest. How many of you have ever come to church or gone to community group and going, oh, I just don't want to worship today. I don't feel like singing. These people are way too happy. I just want to be left alone. Nobody here. I saw some of you this morning already. <laughs> you know, sometimes I, you know, I'll be honest, I've done it. Sometimes I come to church and I'm like, I dare you to make me sing. <laughs> I'm going to sing today. 
And sometimes even if I'm singing, it's like my heart, I'm like thinking of the rugby or something. Not that that's not worthy, but you know what I mean. You know, it's like my mind's elsewhere engaged. I'm just going through the motions. I think that's so human for us on earth. That's so us. It's hard work sometimes to really engage in a time of worship, whether that's public or private or, or whether it's my work that is worship. It's so, we so struggle to do it with all of our hearts. But I think you will recognize with me that in heaven, worship will be completely wholehearted. It will engage the whole of us. I mean, the, the, the Shema Yisrael says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, God will not tell us to do something if it's not possible. Now, on earth, we struggle to do that. But in heaven, it's going to be all of us fully engaged with God. I, I want to read you an, an account again of somebody that was on earth, a human being like us, but stepped into a worshiping, heavenly kind of worship scene. And this was Isaiah. In Isaiah 6, we read this. In the year that King Uzzah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, each with six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they were flying. And they were calling to one another, Holy, holy is the Lord Almighty, the Lord, who f the whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorposts and thresholds shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. What an amazing scene. He's just sort of stumbled into this event. The Holy Spirit allowed him to sort of pull back the curtains. And here he's like, wow. I mean, it's like he's trying to describe something that's probably indescribable. But I noticed verse 5, it says. Now he's, he's seeing all this fantastic worship going on. But at some point he becomes very self-aware. At some point he becomes self-conscious. And he says this in verse 5, Woe to me, I cried. I am a ruined, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips and live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord God Almighty. I'm a man of unclean lips. Have you ever had a time of worship where you just, like you experience the Lord, but at some point you become aware that, that I, don't, I don't quite fit here because of my sin? At some point you become aware that there's some stuff you have to deal with. It, it generally happens in worship. Now I'm washed by the blood of Jesus. My sins are forgiven. But whenever I'm in the brilliance and the radiance of God, something in my life generally tends to get exposed and I have to deal with it. Because that's the difference. I am now in this failed state. And therefore, my worship experience will always be, in a sense, limited. I will always reach a place where I have to then pull back slightly and go, this is more than I can handle. And this is what Isaiah is experiencing. He's saying, oh, wow, I'm seeing the God in his majesty, but whoops, I'm ruined. Because I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people. My heritage is my people are people with unclean lips. Everything I've learned from them, I realize is, not, is imperfect, is tainted, is broken. I've got stuff to deal with. Now, think about when you're in heaven one day. That's not going to be your experience. You see, because when I'm living in heaven, I'm living in the space where I'm redeemed, forgiven, perfectly restored back into the, to that which God has made and purposed me for. I will be fully present with God and there will be no 
self-consciousness that comes in and I will have anything to deal with because there's no repentance in heaven. So I will be able to progress further in my worship and actually come closer to the Lord than ever before and have nothing that limits. I will be able to worship Him with my whole heart like never before. Is it possible that we can reproduce some of that on earth? I don't think we can do it perfectly, but we can say, Lord, by your Spirit, teach me to worship you with all of my heart. Help me to push beyond my human limitations. My limitations are my sinful issues and my humanity. Because we as humans get bored. We as humans have a capacity. So, oh, the worship's too long this morning. I don't think in heaven you're going to have that problem. I'm not saying every worship session has to be long. I'm just saying we will not be limited by our human capacity anymore. So can we begin to say, Lord, teach us. Teach us to worship you. That whether it's in my prayer closet on my own, whether it's corporate, whether it's with a small group, whether it's my work that I'm doing and I'm fully engrossed in this design that I'm doing and and it's my job that I can do this with worship to you with my whole heart. We are, whole, we are about being whole life disciples that, that worship and love God with everything that we have. And this is what we're saying, Lord, teach us to be wholehearted. There's a book written by a man by the name of Robert Jeffress. And in his book, it's entitled, A Place Called Heaven. He writes this, in heaven, no one will merely mouth the words or go through the motions of worship. Or will, all will sing with hearts ablaze. Worship in heaven will be spontaneous, genuinely exhilarating. Why will worship in heaven be exhilarating? Not because the musicians necessarily will be of a higher standard, although probably they are, but because we will be more engaged in worship. I have once had this experience, you may have heard me tell the story, but years and years ago I was in this little church in Bella Bella that I was serving at Natasha and I. And uh, I mean, we had about like 120 people in the church. Worship team, you know, they were fumbling along most Sundays. It wasn't like, the environment wasn't perfect. But this one particular Sunday, I was just so engaged in, in that worship moment. And I was like, with the Lord, I was worshiping. And while I was standing there worshiping, just like abandoning myself in worship, it suddenly I had a momentary experience, which is hard for me to describe. But, but what it felt like happened in that moment, and it just lasted for a second or so, is in a moment I felt like every cell in my being became fully alive to its fullest potential in that one moment. It's, it felt to me like if you've ever been on a roller coaster, for instance, and you know when you're going down a roller coaster, suddenly everything in you is awake. There's no part of your body going, Ugh. everything is like fully tuned in because you are having an experience that arrests your whole being. It felt like that times 100. I was in this moment of worship and it felt like my whole body was alive in its fullest potential. It felt like I was going to explode because everything, and then it stopped. And that became sort of a reference point for me why worship in heaven will be so exhilarating because it will be wholehearted with your whole being. Can we say, Holy Spirit, help us that even on earth we can begin to worship you like that with our whole being. That we, we will not treat it as some, some tradition, but with our whole being. The next point is worship will be in unity. 
Psalm 66 verse 4 says, All the earth bowed down to you. They sing praises to you. They sing the praises of your name. Psalm 34 verse 3 says, Glorify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. We sang Psalm 96 this morning. It talks about every nation worshiping the Lord. Holy, holy is the Lord. You know, there's a strange thing that happens when a people, no matter what their background, no matter what their heritage, no matter where they come from, becomes fully surrendered to the Lord and the Lordship of Christ. There's a beautiful thing that happens that is not possible for human beings to create, recreate on their own. And that beautiful thing that happens is the word called unity. Unity is only possible where a people surrender themselves before God and come with their heritage, with their story, with their life, with their, with their experience, with their culture, with everything, and then come and say, Lord, I lay it down before you. And in that moment when, when the Holy Spirit moves and something can happen where a people like that can step into a space of unity, unity is not uniformity. Unity is not let's find the lowest common denominator, the one thing we all agree on, and let's build community based on that. That's what the world tries to do. That's what pluralism tries to do. It says, what are the things we all agree on, and let's focus on that, let's not focus on the differences. Unity is different. Unity is you coming with all your differences, fully Owning those differences, but in the majesty and the glory and the, the just amazing bigness of God, those differences become minuscule because of His majesty. You don't lose them. They just get orientated towards Him. And then they become a celebration of the vastness of who God is. My different style of music and your different style of music from our heritage and our culture doesn't compete anymore. They complement suddenly because God is bigger than all of that. If we try and recreate that in our human capacity, we'll compete. And then we create tension and struggle. In, in the spirit, in true worship, unity is possible. Is it possible that we can recreate some of that on earth already? Can we be a community? And I want to honor this community. I think that's what we're striving to do already. A community that says, I'm not going to be let worship be shaped around my limitations. I'm completely comfortable in who I am and what I like and what I prefer. And that's fine. But I do recognize there's something bigger. And so when we come together to worship, I, I'm prepared to make space. I'm prepared to put my bit down and say, Lord, if this serves you today in this worship setting, let it serve you. If it doesn't, it's also okay, but I'm going to worship you. I can sing a song that I don't quite understand the language because I know it's about you. You understand the language. That doesn't mean I don't, I now leave my own language. My language is now being devalued. No. Then you miss the point completely. We just go, there's more. God is the God of more. I don't know what worship in heaven is going to sound like exactly. Are the nations going to rotate and have different turns? Is there going to be like a roster in heaven? Because if, if there is, will you just tell me when it's the Scottish people's turn to lead worship? I don't know if I can do bagpipes for a whole worship session. You know, squeeze that cat until it's like... It's beautiful at a funeral. You know, the right places. 
or the military, you know, I had a guy in the military with me that played bagpipes and it was beautiful in the right moments. Or, you know, is the, what is the worship going to be like? Is it going to be this blend of all these amazing different sounds that we find on earth? I don't know how they're going to do it. But I'm, I know it's not going to be Treklafir and Budamasik every day, all day. Praise the Lord. As my, I know some people love that. That's not my, my shtick, you know. Or whatever our preference may be. And I think on earth already as the church, as the body of Christ, we're stepping into a space where we're going, thank you, Lord, that you are taking me to a broader space. And that my capacity, my, my ability to reflect who you are with my own heritage and celebrate and enjoy others with their heritage and be fully engaged is such a beautiful and wonderful thing. The fourth point is worship will be a way of life. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 31 tells us the following. It's an instruction given to us. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Now I don't think Paul will tell us or the Corinthians to do this if it's not possible. And I think he's trying to say something that it will be our eternal experience. So whatever you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is it really possible that the stuff you eat can glorify God? Because food, you know, is a massive heritage marker. What we enjoy to eat speaks of our heritage. Amen? Who, are you, who of you are going to eat some special food today? Because that's your heritage. That's what you enjoy. Nobody. Ach, Yes, like you should have put some planning into this. We've got like, you know, and there will be ice cream. That's our heritage. But, and I think there's enough scriptural evidence to say that we could even be eating in heaven one day and enjoying food in heaven. Again, that may be a way that we celebrate. Can we do everything unto the Lord? Now, we know this as Christians, that when it comes to our heritage and our culture, there's parts that reflect God pretty well. There's parts that don't reflect God at all, that can be redeemed. And there's parts that don't reflect God and can never be redeemed. Amen? So as a Christian, I'm, what I'm doing with my heritage is I'm bringing it to the Lord and I'm saying, Lord, I want to glorify you with my humanity. So what parts of my culture can I celebrate and reflect your kingdom? And by the way, every culture on earth has those parts. What parts of my culture, Lord, has goodness to it, but it's been twisted and no longer reflects you and can be redeemed? And what parts of my culture, Lord, cannot be redeemed and I need to drop it? As a Christian, I cannot do this. Like if you come from a heritage of cannibalism, I don't think you can just say, Lord, thank you for this meal that I'm about to receive. And I bless this. You know, the scripture says, thou shalt not lust, thy, not lust after thy neighbor's wife. You cannot look at your neighbor's wife and go, that'll be nice with mint sauce. Mm -hmm. I don't think you can redeem cannibalism in the scripture. Please tell me you believe that. I don't think we can have spring celebration and you bring some really interesting pieces of meat and we go, who's that? <laughs> That's not right. You cannot redeem that. But there are parts that you can redeem. And 
our Christianity is, helps us to sort those things. And so as we come together and it becomes our way of life, is that we worship God in everything that we do. Everything is submitted to the Lordship of Jesus. There's nothing I can say, well, that's my culture. You know, that's the way we do it. Remember what uh, African Klope said, what culture is? It's being ruled by dead people. The underground gang. I didn't say that, he said it. We've always done it this way. You know, don't tell us. No, every culture submits to the Lordship of Jesus. Even the Americans, hey, the Texans especially. Hey, Mike, everything. And we sometimes think our culture is closer to godly culture than, but if you really begin to submit it to the scripture, you go, there's a lot here that needs to be changed. Everything I do. Jeffers, again, he writes, while worshiping God will be a central activity in heaven, it will not be our only activity. Just as Christians today can offer praise to God while engaging in other tasks throughout the week, Christians in the new heaven and the new earth will worship God during special designated times as well as while involved in other activities. I, I think the reality that work was part of God's creation before Adam and Eve sinned. You know work is not part of the curse. It's a blessing to work. Work is worship. It's highly likely that you're going to work in heaven. Not to earn a salary but to express God's kingdom, to express godly order. Now that didn't go down very well. Some of you are like looking forward to the eternal retirement home in heaven and where somebody's gonna come and bring you your favorite drink all day long and just, is that palm leaves that you're doing, Malaika? Or you're like waving palm leaves and just like, oh, it's gonna be a beach or a forest scene and oh, we're gonna do nothing. We're just gonna sit there, just clock in for a half an hour every day to sing a song and then we go off and do our own little thing. No, heaven's going to be like the best parts of earth times a million. The joy of creating, of innovating, of, of building something. I think there's going to be something like that in heaven. And that's worshiping God with our whole life. Can we begin to do more of that on earth? Worship God with everything. The last thing I want to say is worship will be enjoying his intimate presence. Psalm 16, 11, you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You see, we, we have a problem with pleasure on earth. God made us with the capacity to really enjoy things. He gave us the equipment to enjoy things. Like taste buds. They, are, they, they have a survival Use, but it only goes so far. There are things that you can taste that has absolutely no physical purpose in terms of, it's like your material purpose in terms of you need to be able to taste that so you can survive. You, they are there for your enjoyment. We can see colors because that brings pleasure. We can hear sounds that brings us pleasure. God gave us sexual intimacy and gave, made it pleasurable. Pleasure is something that God gave us. Our problem is because of our fallen nature and our sinful nature, we twist pleasure. We always make it, we turn it into something selfish, and then we attach too much value to it, and we begin to chase pleasure. 
Instead of using pleasure as a way to know God more, we make pleasure as something that defines our lives. And we become servants of pleasure instead of serving God through the pleasure. Now the scripture says there are pleasures at his right hand forevermore. I think there's going to be colors in heaven that we have can't even, our, our minds cannot comprehend on this earth. I think there are going to be tastes in heaven that we're going to go, wow, can ice cream really have been this good? What have I missed all my life? There are going to be experiences in heaven that's going to be more thrilling than anything we've ever had on earth. But the difference is we will not twist it. We will not make it selfish. We will not make it idol. We will not, you know, uh, worship it or chase after it, because we will have a different orientation of heart. But is it possible that even on earth we can begin to say, "Lord, I want to worship you. I want to worship you. Redeem my pleasure. May my pleasure become windows into who you are." Because, like I said last week. We are made to glorify God and to enjoy Him for eternity. To enjoy Him. But can we, if we don't twist it all the time, perhaps we can enjoy Him more. So even worship experience on earth, because we so personalize it, we tend to make it the pleasure about us. How do we surrender to him more? And then the scripture also says in 1 Corinthians 13 verse 12, for now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. One day when I'm with the Lord in heaven, I will see him, not through a veil, not through a mirror, not by faith, I will see him. I will have the capacity to, in a natural way, comprehend him and know him. I will be intimate with him. I will feel his presence, his texture, his smell. I will know him. Better than what I've ever known anything, I will know him. And I will be fully known. Right now, it's like a hazy mirror. That we're trying to guess and we do the best we can to understand God. And that's not because God is trying to play cat and mouse with us. That's just because we are in a limited capacity. He's revealing himself. He's making himself known. He's saying, this is who I am. If you, if you spend time with me, you'll get to know me. But one day I will know him. More fully than I can ever know him and his presence. But the amazing thing, the Holy Spirit already now begins to help me. To know him. If I come and I say, Lord, I want to know you. If I'm able to turn really towards him, turn from my human needs and limitations and capacities and begin to seek him, the Holy Spirit begins to help me to know him already as I will know him in heaven. And that's his invitation to us. So I want to invite you, title of my message, I don't know if I said it earlier, is come let us worship the king. Worship team, will you guys join? Come let us worship the king. Won't you stand with me?
I'm, I'm quite aware that what I try to do this morning is actually almost impossible to do because of my own limitations and, you know, human, just humanity. But can I pray that something in the Spirit will stir in our hearts this morning and say, Holy Spirit, help us. As it is in heaven, let it be on earth. Let us worship you. Because where you are truly lifted up, you will draw all men unto you. We bring our cultures, our heritage, with full thankfulness and celebration. None of us has to be ashamed of our culture and our heritage. None of us, we all recognize we've got things that, that didn't glorify God, doesn't glorify God, things that needs to be repented of, needs to be changed in every culture and in every heritage. But in every culture and heritage, there's also things that celebrates. So I can bring my culture and my, my heritage and say, Lord, I know it's not perfect, but I bring it to you. Because only in your presence can it be redeemed. I can't redeem it. It's only with you. And as we do that, we, but we, we're turning that towards you, Lord, so that you would help us to put it in its right place and that things like identity get shaped in the right way in our lives, in an appropriate way. But we can only do that when we fully come with everything and we give it to the Lord. So can we do that as we finish this service today? So can I ask you, if you don't mind, if you feel comfortable enough or are physically capable, let's raise our hands to the Lord right now. Lord Jesus, I thank you. As the scripture says, that you made me and you des designated a time and a place for me to live. That right now I'm alive in this space by your providence and by your grace. And I thank you for that. I thank you for my heritage. I thank you for the beautiful parts that reflect you and represent you. I thank you, Lord, for the parts that can be redeemed. And I bring all of that to you and I say, Lord, show us how to redeem our heritage. And Lord, the parts that needs to be dropped, Lord, help us to do that. But Lord, we want to come in your presence and we want to worship you in some way as, as it's done in heaven. Let it be on earth. And so we pray, come stir us, Holy Spirit. Come and enlarge a space within us. Come and en enable us, Lord, to step more and more into those that worship you in spirit and in truth. It's not about this mountain or that mountain, Lord, but it's about you. We worship you. We worship you. We present to you every tongue, every tribe, every nation, every people represented here in this room, in our community, those that are online, we present them to you, Lord. We come and we thank you, Jesus, that you have made us that you have placed us, that we are not people that are vagabonds that just drift around with no heritage, no identity, no place where we belong, no people that we can call our own, that you blessed us and you gave us all those wonderful things and we thank you for it and we appreciate it, Lord. But it is our privilege to bring that to you today and say, Lord, you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. It is only in your presence that my heritage will become fully what it is meant to be. It is only in your presence, Lord, that we will become fully alive 
living wholeheartedly, having a way of life that worships you. And so we pray, Holy Spirit, as we go from this place and as we go into every space where we go, let us worship you, Lord. Let us worship you. Declare your kingship through the way we live, through the way we work, and everything we do. And we thank you, Lord, that we can see your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we bless you and we love you in Jesus' name. And we all say, Amen, Amen, Amen. Thank you for being with us this morning. If you would like prayer, then please come to the front. Our team will be here to pray with you. It may be that today you want to say, I want to give my life to Jesus. Let somebody pray with you and help you with that. Please, those that want to meet with Pastor Seth in the Connect Lounge, and then he would gladly tell you a little bit about our church and just how you can get to know more people. And uh, may the Lord bless you. Have a wonderful Heritage Day and a wonderful week also.